screen. And we're going to start <coughs> in a second here. Uh, how, how, are you, how was your weekend? It's good. Kind of warm, yeah, but good. Yes, yes. Let's see here. Let's get started. Let's get started. Yeah, my my host co-host was going to be Trisha and James Ella and Francis Thompson and uh, a couple of more I'm waiting on, and that's about it. We're just going to fly away. All right. So quiet. <laughs> Mr. Getz, how is Allison? If you don't mind my asking. Allison is uh, working hard at getting better. She's gone into the office a few times this <coughs> week. Uh, she gets tired real easy, but she's, uh, you know, working real hard at getting better. And we're, uh, Right there, helping her every step of the way. Oh, great, great. Our prayers are with you. Thank yes. you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we're going to get going. Knowledge is Power Podcast Live with your host, Tony Redford, and my co-hosts, LaDonna Sherwood and Francis Lawkins. Knowledge is Power Podcast Live starts now. Then and welcome to Knowledge is Power Podcast Live, and our guest tonight is Ward 2, Beaumont City Councilman, Mike Getz. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you doing, Tony? I'm great, great, great. I tell you, I'm glad to have you, and I'm glad you accepted our invitation. We've been going with a series of, uh, for the last past month or so, and that series of um, uh, podcasting uh, was like what it's like living here in Beaumont. This is episode four of what it's like living in Beaumont, um, the pros and the cons. And we continue to dive into this to find out uh, on some of the many concerns that we have in our community. So I'll, I'm gonna let, let, let um, um, uh, you, uh, Mike, and let us, some of the folks that might not know, uh, some of them that are listening, let them know who you are and what 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 are you doing? And and after that, uh, James Eller going to lead off with the question. Okay, Mike. Okay. Well, I'm native to the area. I grew up in Port Arthur. Went to Lamar University. Uh, decided to get out and uh, 
worked for a little while after that. Uh, before I went to law school, I uh, worked as a teacher. I worked for the Boy Scouts of America. And then uh, I decided I needed to make a little bit of money, so I went and worked for the Postal Service. I actually put myself through law school carrying mail. And I went to law school with our district attorney uh, candidate, Keith Giblin. Uh, yeah, Keith and I go back quite a ways. So uh, right. we, we actually carpooled together to law school and uh, took an apartment together to study for the bar. So I know Keith real well. I know he'll do a good job as a DA. Anyway, uh, got out of uh, law school in 1989, passed the bar, first try in 1990, and uh, practiced law for 30 years and uh, retired in 2020. I thought 30 years was enough. But uh, during that time, I decided to... Uh, make a run for city council, first time being in 2011, and uh, was elected and uh, have been serving in that position for War Two ever since. That's right. You've been, I guess this is your fourth term or third, fourth term? No, we run every two years, so whatever that is. <laughs> okay. Yes, well, uh, James, we've... Yes, sir. <clears throat> Mr. Gatz, uh Welcome to the show, of course. And, and like I told Tony, I didn't want it to seem uh, any hostile whenever I come off with questions uh, to you because everybody appreciates you taking your time to come and join everybody and, you know, voice it from a councilman's perspective about the city. Uh, as of the new council, there, there's a few, more than a few, uh, you know, new members on the uh, council. What have you seen that has changed uh, compared to differently uh, from your previous councils? Uh, what have you seen that's that's more uh, proactive with the council and uh, what kind of changes do you expect uh, for the council to be making anytime soon? <clears throat> well, I think the biggest changes have to do with outside of council uh, in terms of city manager, city attorney okay. and, and the mayor. The mayor's technically part of council, but uh, the mayor has uh, an oversized role in terms of city council because even though the mayor only has one vote they get to help set the agenda and so uh, that's a very important position I think that when you really think about it I mentioned that uh, I started practicing law in 1990 well the previous mayor the previous city attorney and the previous city manager had all been there since the 1990s and so think about how long ago that's been, how long those those three have been in place. And I think that with the, with uh, new people taking those positions, that has been the biggest change. Is it going to contribute to a big change or shift in, in uh, city charter or policies that you think uh, that you know about? Is there anything perspective, uh, any kind of... Uh, uh, new things that you, you know are on the table or coming up that would actually make a big change to the city's uh, charter? Well, the city charter changes have to be voted on by the electorate. You know, we can't just go in and start changing the city charter. That's not how it works. Uh, the right. uh, voters have to approve any changes to the city charter. And in fact, uh, I think about two years ago, we did a comprehensive review of the city charter mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, there were several uh, measures that were placed on the ballot i believe most of them passed 
uh, in terms of city charter. Basically, it was just cleaning up language that needed to be uh, modernized. Right. I remember that. Well, I mean, with the new uh, city manager, though, now stepping in or a a interim city manager, is there anything that y'all are looking at any uh, any deeper now? Like you said, that the previous group was on ever since, like you said, the 90s, correct? Uh, Now, with that group basically gone, is there anything else that y'all are looking into? Well, you know, Chris Boone is his own man. Uh, Right now, he's an interim city manager. He may very well be the permanent city manager. But there are other candidates that have their names in the hat. It's going to be up to the city council to decide which one uh, emerges as our new full-time city manager. Uh, I like Chris Boone. He brings some new ideas and some new energy. Uh, He shows a a willingness to listen uh, and is, uh, you know, very uh, skilled in a lot of areas in terms of economic development in terms of uh, moving the city forward to another level. I think he has some great ideas and I'm excited to see some of the things that he has uh, proposed come to fruition. Trisha? Okay. Hi, um, I'm with uh, James and I, I hope that we can make this friendly and you know get some questions answered and, and, and all that. I know you and I have beef sometimes, so I try to keep that separate and- um, I guess my main interest, uh, I saw an update about the Battleship Texas. Is that definitely coming or? Well, I can't say that it's definitely coming, but I can say that Beaumont is definitely in the running. And I think that we actually have the inside track. The uh, Battleship Texas is about to undergo a huge <laughs> renovation. The uh, Battleship Texas Foundation is tasked with running and operating and maintaining the Battleship Texas. And they recently secured a tremendously large dry dock. They floated it here from the Bahamas. It was the only one that they could find big enough to handle the Battleship Texas. And it is now in Galveston. And so the Battleship Texas will be leaving its berth at San Jacinto, tentatively scheduled for August the 10th to go to Galveston for a makeover and the state legislature has appropriated $37 million for these renovations. So when the ship is finished, it's going to be completely seaworthy for another 50 years. It's going to look great. The only problem is it doesn't have a place to go yet because part of that $37 million came with some strings attached. And one of those was that the Battleship Texas Foundation would have to find a new place outside of San Jacinto for it to be housed, for it to be birthed, because they were only drawing about 80,000 visitors a year at San Jacinto. So they want to place the ship at the place where they think it can draw the most attendance. I happen to think that that's Beaumont because it would be in view of I-10 and with some billboards on the interstate, it would be real easy to get off the interstate to come see the ship. Now, you know, you look at the battleship Alabama and outside of Mobile, in 2019, the year before coronavirus hit, it drew 475,000 visitors. That was mostly people coming in off the interstate. That wasn't people in the Mobile area. So there's no reason to think that we cannot draw similar numbers. 
what would that do to downtown Beaumont? What kind of economic impact would that have? Huge. The uh, accounting firm of Deloitte has already done an economic impact analysis that says that the uh, new home port city for the Battleship Texas will realize over $10 million a year in economic impact. So I'm very hopeful that we can get the ship here in Beaumont. Now, uh, is are we ready for it? We're, like, we have to dredge the, the <coughs> river, right? Is, is that going to happen? Or? I don't well, know the council meeting to talk about that. I don't know that we do have to dredge the river because the river uh, is already, uh, you know, unless you're right there by the shore, you know, the, the battleship Texas drafts 25 feet. The Nature's River is 40 feet, feet deep. So, you know, we do have, and we're the only city that has done this, we have already contracted with a marine engineering firm to give us the details of exactly what it's going to cost to bring the battleship Texas here, where it would be located. They have all of the depths of the Natchez River, uh, all the way from the shoreline out to the middle of the channel. They, they can tell you exactly how deep it is and where the ship would have to be positioned. They're doing a study on what it would take to anchor it so that if we had another hurricane like Harvey, it wouldn't break loose and, and float away because we can't have a runaway battleship. It would take out the KCS bridge. <laughs> You know, so it would be engineered appropriate to withstand Hurricane Harvey floodwaters. And, you know, I've already seen their preliminary report. In fact, I met with them in the port as recently as this past Friday. And I'm very encouraged with what they have to say. Okay. Well, Mike, you know, I'm, again, <laughs> I'm going to add, add on what the other two uh, hosts have asked you. Uh, but I have... I wasn't in favor of the uh, battleship of Texas coming here because I need something. We need something more um, um, that's going to attract more visitor to our area, downtown area, just in our area. Period. Now, what I, right, reason why I'm saying this is that I know you talked about the uh, battleship uh, that sits in uh, is it Alabama, right? And it has some of the highest visitors uh, rate um, but remember there's other att attractions that's located near it right that, and uh, what are they going to go see when they come here right well see all they're going to come here see is a battleship <laughs> well so, okay so let, let me just break that down for you a second here you know yeah there are attractions in Mobile but the battleship Alabama is not in Mobile it's outside of Mobile it's on the way to Mobile. So the Battleship Texas, if it was in Beaumont, it would be on the way to Lake Charles if people are going to the casino, or it's on the way to Houston, because you're not gonna get the same people from Southeast Texas going over and over and over to see the Battleship Texas. You're gonna depend on people that are going through Beaumont on Interstate 10. Now, 250,000 people a day, a day, cross the Purple Heart Memorial Veterans Bridge. If we can get 1% of those to come in and tour the Battleship Texas, we'll hit the marks and the kind of numbers that we want. So I think it's extremely doable. And then, you know, you got to look at what are the other options. The two other cities that are in the running are Baytown and Galveston. Neither one of those would be on the interstate. 
Baytown is pretty much dead because they would have to spend $20 million in dredging where they want to put it. They want to put it underneath the Fred Hartman Bridge. I've already talked to the councilman for that ward in Baytown, and there's no way they're going to spend that kind of money for a bond or anything else to finance dredging out for a battleship. So that leaves Galveston. Now, Galveston would be great. However, you know, there's problems in Galveston. It's very much a saltwater environment. Here, it would be <coughs> freshwater. The other thing is where they want to put it in Galveston is over at Seawolf Park. Well, Seawolf Park is hard to get to. And so if you're going to go to Galveston, most people go to Galveston to go to the Strand, to go to the beach, go out to eat. They're not going to go to Galveston to see a battleship. So, you know, they only draw about 40,000 people a year at Seawolf Park. The battleship Texas people are not really interested in that. Well, and how many people are, do we, have, do we know what's happening with the 555 building? Is that staying or going? Because if it's going to be de demolished and people are coming to the base, uh, the uh, battleship, that's going to be not good. We want people to have a good time here and, and word of mouth matters. So if they're on a battleship and they're watching a building being demolished, that's kind of defeating the purpose. Well, there is an investor that has proposed to do some incredible things for the 555 building. And what the city is going to do is send out a request for proposals to be fair. There might be other people out there that want to do something. You know, the previous city manager never would entertain that as a possibility. He yeah. never looked at anything other than tearing it down. That was his objective all along. And that might be what ends up happening. But why not explore the possibilities of seeing what other people are willing to do? The investor that has indicated an interest has shown some incredible designs that would be amazing if we could make that happen downtown. Councilman, has that been? Oh, oh, oh no, that's, that's, Fran, that's just Francis in right now. Go ahead, Francis. Uh, do, do you feel that, and I'm prob probably in some roundabout way through um, these answers and questions, um, you probably answered this already, but do you feel that bringing Battleship to this area will somehow impact the nightlife or the entertainment sector of the city like downtown because we we definitely want the young people to stay here and and again and this has been something that's been you know talked about you know time and time again you know how can we continue to um have beaumont grow and ensure that our talents and um, our young professionals stay in this area do you think that in some type of way that that battleship would um impact that i think it would and i'll tell you why you know downtown beaumont has an opportunity to do something great and i think that we're on the cusp of doing it when you go to houston to the museum district it's an outing you can go to a couple of museums there and you know it's it's really a neat and cool experience you know we've got some tremendous museums in beaumont and the Battleship Texas would enhance all of them. I arranged a meeting of all of the museum directors about a month ago. And we had people there from the Battleship Texas, the Texas Energy Museum, the Art Museum, uh, the Fire Museum, Beaumont Children's Museum, the McFadden Ward House. And we talked about how a rising tide will lift all ships. They need to cross promote one another, maybe have one 
price for a pass to get into multiple museums. You're never going to have downtown Beaumont like it was in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, where it's a center of retail. That's not going to happen again. Too many people shop on the internet. Even the malls are having trouble. So you're not going to have retail downtown. So you got to go with what works. What would work in the day, yeah, you've got some law firms and you've got government down there and you've got some startup uh, tech <laughs> firms down there. That's all good. But what else can we do? Okay, we've got all these museums and a lot of them are empty. We need to do something to get them in there. We need to advertise them more. And that's just for the day. At night, I think you're going to see Crockett Street reinvented as a Kima-style family-friendly venue with restaurants. No much, not so much drinking and honky-tonking, but nice restaurants, maybe one country western place. But you're already seeing the old Spindletop restaurant has been gutted. It's going to be reinvented as an upscale steakhouse. Sugars has been acquired by a restaurant chain called Hearsay. And they're, they've got branches in Houston and Galveston. They should be opening up this fall. So that's two really quality <clears throat> restaurants that are going to be coming into downtown. And I think that it opens the door for more. Now, Councilman Gibbs, I like the honky-tonk. I don't like the honky-tonk. Some of that. <laughs> we can leave some of that now. Well, well you know, I mean, you know we've, had, we've had the honky-tonk um, honky uh, um, era for for many years and it just seemed like it faded away it just faded away you know it just didn't it lasts for so long we need i gotta tell you kids these days just don't go out dancing like we used to they just no. don't do it you know they don't go we need entertainment we need entertainment venues we need uh, uh attractions that's gonna draw from a hundred miles radius or more that that will help bring more business to beaumont Besides the battleship Texas, now I yes. agree, I disagree with you on the battleship, but I did. Well, tell agree me, with Tony. You. Tony, I, I, tell I, me wait, what wait, you wait, think wait. would be better. I, but I did agree with you on the five five five. Well, tell <clears> wait <throat> before we leave the battleship, Tony. If you disagree with me on it, tell me what your idea well, is you to know, bring I, something downtown. Well, I, I'm looking more to bring downtown. I'm looking for something uh, uh, non-seizable. In other words. I'm looking for a venue like, like, um, let's say a indoor water park. Okay. Well, who's going to build that? We've got to get, we got to get private money, private investors, and, 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 and probably maybe partner up with the city. An indoor water park, what? like an indoor water park, like something at the Great uh, Great Wolf Lodge, for instance. Okay, just take. If that you first. put something like that that in Beaumont, the logical place would be to put it out on the interstate. That's right. Um, in front of Ford Park. That's with right. With all the softball fields and all that traffic. That's, that's right. You know, that would be great. I would have nothing but positive things to say if something like that were to come up, come into Beaumont. It would be we really nice if they could leave the battleship and go straight to that. Well, they could, you know, you can do yeah. both. Right. You know, you've got, you can absolutely do both. You've got a main attraction now. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's like the battleship is great. I mean, I didn't agree with it at first, but I've grown to, you know, agree with it. But if there's nothing else to do, then they're just going to leave. And when they tell other people about Beaumont, it's, you know, going to be the way that it is just with the battleship. If we have other attractions for them to come to, they'll stay right. and they'll spend more money. Right. And more hotels will come. Yep. More restaurants will come. 
business will boom. If we're looking at if we're looking at like uh, museums that help one another, like my guest said, uh, what about night? See, it seems like everything shuts down in the downtown area in the evening time, right? Well, what about a night tour of all the museums? Because the ambiance of night is a whole lot different from the daytime, right? So a lot of people that can't get out or, or won't get out in the daytime would probably, you know, have a chance to get out in the evening time for a museum tour, you know, buy one ticket, get onto all of them or something like that. Uh, set up lighting, get involved with a couple of food trucks in the evening time. I mean, there, there's a great possibility with that with Battleship Texas. <clears throat> what about what? What do we talk about with the? You know, if the AT&T building had been ripped down, there was the, the investors that were talking about a restaurant in the parking lot of the Civic Center. Has there been any movement towards anyone still wanting to get involved with the parking lot park, the the uh, the restaurants in that area, like overlooking the the uh, Natchez River? Is there any hangups on why? I've not heard of any further conversation about anything in the parking lot of the Civic Center. However, the investor that has expressed interest in the AT&T building, 555 Main, if you looked at his video, you will see that he had two restaurants out there close to the water on pad sites in the back parking lot of the AT&T building. And okay. he has, I, I, I yeah. know he has spoken yeah to some local restaurant owners that are excited and are interested in investing at that location. I, I think that that would all work together. I mean, definitely the AT&T uh, building, I think he was talking about doing luxury high rise apartments there and then a, a rooftop a bar or something like that. And then if there yeah. was the restaurants more towards the river, uh, then throw in the ship and then, you know, seating area and whatnot, like green space and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, all that could definitely work. Uh, is there anybody else that's talking with the group, you know, with the council, with the group as of uh, and with other uh, the, the people that supposedly were interested before with the restaurants? Are there anyone that's uh, been going to or coming from those groups? I mean, you say that that the talk has died down. Has there uh, been anybody that actually went out towards them again and, and prompted yes, them with the new changes? The talk has died down about putting something in the Civic Center parking lot. But one of those people, a group of people that was talking about doing that is one of the group uh, that has restaurants that this investor has spoken to that is interested in doing something at the AT&T site. Well, I like that. Okay. I like that. Mike, I, Mike, right now I'm enjoying the dialogue that we're having because a lot of us are in, in, in the community is in the dark about what's going on with the city and what's in city council. And this is a good opportunity to kind of uh, let everyone know what's going on, what's in the plans, what's coming in the future. So we can kind of get some excitement going on in our yes. lives, you know? And now, now, one other thing I'm gonna ask, if you, if you don't mind, I saw the plans for the 555 Main Street I like the plans. I like. I think that's a great attraction that would come to town that would draw board to downtown area. Uh, speaking of green, uh, and I heard uh, James say something about green. Have we, Have you all thought about putting in a green park downtown? Well, yeah, we we've got several parks downtown already, and we're about to start construction reconstruction on Riverfront Park, and. The cool thing about reconstructing Riverfront Park is that with 
all those railroads out of there except for one. Uh, those those rail, railroad lines were on property owned by the Port of Beaumont. We have spoken with the Port of Beaumont. We're talking about doing a land swap with the Port of Beaumont so that they can get some land that they need over by Sabine Pass Avenue to expand their boundaries a little bit and they'll give us that rail bed. What that would allow us to do is to green that all up and make beltways through there, bicycle paths, sidewalks. It would be adjacent to the old Riverfront Park. So basically you're making Riverfront Park wider mm -hmm. and it's more more of a park to work with. Right. I agree with that. I like. Yeah, that. Are we talking about on the north side, or is it towards the the railroad bridge? No, on the north side. North side. Yes. Towards yes. like uh, towards uh, was that Trinity Industries that way? Yes. Okay. We got Terry here with us. Terry. Sorry, I'm late. Uh, I had my little grandson with me, so <laughs> I couldn't leave that. So. <laughs> no. Can't blame you. Well, I don't really have a, a lot of any questions, but. Uh, my main concern is I don't I don't mind anything coming to the city, battleship or, or whatever. But I think we need to find a way to to get jobs to the city. I know it's not the city council's job to do that, but we have to find some kind of way to get some jobs to the city. And I think that's another thing that's killing Beaumont is, is lack of jobs. I think the, the unemployment is like eight eight percent, which is high for a city our size. And I think it's time we all kind of sit down at the table and try to figure out how we can get jobs to the city, which will help in a lot of things. Because if you don't have a job, there's no way you could go to any of these things that we have planned if you don't have money. Terry, sure. Terry, Terry, now you said jobs, okay? They are jobs, but you talked about hot, uh, medium paying jobs. Not, job, not, not just like, medium paying right. jobs, job, not right. like uh, right. Burger King. Right, or, right, nothing right. Wrong I don't Right. I'm talking about jobs. Yes. I want to specify that. Because I, I, I've spoken to a lady that owns a, a our rural center, dance center. She She's having a lot of problems with the city because she's really trying to expand. But she's getting such a hard time from, from, from uh, the city. Yes. And, you know, it's possible. I hope, hopefully she won't move, you know, away. And it has to be a way to where somebody can go to her and help her with the situations that she's having because she's but, trying to trying to but expand. that's the but that's the thing that uh i've heard from multiple individuals uh yeah. that it's hard for small it's businesses hard. to do anything because they're always tackled by a whole bunch of and and, and always contributed to it seems like a lot of the, the inspectors or individuals up in administration that's what she I, I looked at the uh the employment uh as of where somebody lives that's employed by the city of beaumont a lot of individuals are employed from or live out of the city of beaumont that actually are employed here do we think that the care uh that's being focused towards the citizens is not a top priority because these individuals are hired from out of town and they don't have to deal with the the repercussions of uh of what they do to the civilians the uh citizens you know, like uh, if I'm going to go harass this business, hell, I ain't got to spend money there because I don't live there, for I an example. It, I take it personal because my, my grandkids go to that dance school. Right. And well, and if, if you're a if business, she, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Left, if she up and left, 
You imagine how many kids that that would destroy. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping like right. Mike. I hope you can reach out to her. Her name is Charlie Hannah. I know Charlie, and I know I know the story, and I know what yeah. y'all are talking about. And I've been over to Irule before, and I've visited mm -hmm. with her. And you know, one of the things that became an issue was I think during COVID, uh, she was trying to think outside the box and figure out a Going way outside. to be outside. But mm -hmm. the problem when she built that stage, she didn't get any permits. She didn't ask anybody at the city what was safe, what was not safe, mm -hmm. you know, and what what could be done, what couldn't be done, or how it might impact or affect the neighbors. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of pushback and a lot of blowback. So, you know, there's ways of going about things, but, you, you know, that that's not in my ward. I don't think yeah. right there. I think that's Taylor's yeah, ward. That's but, Taylor's. But, but. You know, I know there were some issues as a result of that. Well, there's other things too. I mean, like I, I as you guys know, I run tow yards um, and we made a new tow yard on Crockett Street. They wanted me to put handicap spots in a tree in the yard for the car, where say, the car sits. Again, what, say again, what? Handicap spots in a tree. They wanted me to plant trees and, and put handicap spots inside the tow yard where the impound vehicles go, which, I mean, I had to fight with the city for a couple of months about that in order just to hmm. open up a yard to put the cars in. There's just certain regulations and, and expectations that are a little much. I mean, why would you put handicapped spots in, in a tow yard? <laughs> That's not what it's about. And they don't make uh, you room know, for that. The, the reality is, is we have a code of ordinances that require it. And if there is a uh, reason that you can show that you need a variance, or if it doesn't make a lot of sense, then when you go before planning and zoning, you make your case and they make a recommendation to the city council. And, you know, we almost always go along with uh, right. what planning and zoning recommends. But why not just alleviate that kind of time delay and uh, uh, hardship on a business? I mean, some things are just, there should be room for not we, so much difficulty starting a business. Because we, we know because the law, the law requires us to have a certain number of parking places that any business set aside for handicapped in order to comply with the American Disabilities Act. That's, I get that. that's, that's, a, that's a federal law. That's, that's, that's not something that we have a whole lot of say about. But and unless so, your vehicle's being impounded, it's not coming in my yard. Even when you come to pick one up, you're not bringing your vehicle in. Okay. Well, so, I mean, saying, it's yeah. just, you know, there's certain, and it's not just that, I mean, that is my personal experience, but there's other things that, you know, it shouldn't, be so difficult to explain to somebody and you shouldn't have to wait for it to get to here and to there and the next person and it can be taxing on a new business they don't want to deal with it i understand well bringing up the ada uh and i think it's uh 1966 i think there was an ada it, it could have been 67. uh being that beaumont borrows money from or or is given money i say bar is given money i believe it was by text dots to do uh or whenever they do their projects like let's say washington and whatnot i looked at the engineering diagrams of the sidewalks drawn up for city of beaumont's purposes of having that on record and the sidewalks are not even complete is there a an, is there a pause to it or, or are they going to revisit it or are they going to try and put the completion of the sidewalks to those areas that uh they stop they they stop probably 30 feet on one on the other side it's 60 feet over here it's 20 feet it, it's just an oddity is there any corrections and it's it's all down 
Washington. So the new was it $38 million that we spent on taxpayers' money. Uh, and then we don't have completed sidewalks. And that's ADA also of violations, being that it's not compliant for uh, handicapped individuals uh, or even people that just transit on, on foot. Uh, we have a couple of those issues around town. Is there any, because uh, I know I've sent a letter to the entire council, what kind of movement has been looked into to actually make that uh, possible? So, you know, for all those railroad tracks, it's it's planking and extensions. Uh, has there been any new, you know, people looking into trying to get these things completed? Well, as, as you know, and as you've experienced yourself, when you're dealing with railroads, uh, you're dealing with, uh, you know, the 800 pound gorilla because they're not subject to any city ordinances. Uh, they, they're, they're governed by the federal government and the federal railroad administration. Uh, you're mm -hmm. also talking about TxDOT, that some of these roads are actually TxDOT roads. So, you know, when we, when we uh, redid Washington, there was a lot of new sidewalk poured for Washington. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly where you're talking about on Washington. Uh, that's not in War II, but I've been down it many times and the street came mm -hmm. out very nice and there is a lot of new sidewalk there. It, it's just the railroad crossings. The The railroad mm -hmm. crossings haven't been completed since the Washington uh, was been poured. And then there's like near my house over here on the north end, there's Hellbig in East Lucas, which is Alderwin Samuels uh, District uh, Award. And that particular area has sidewalks that lead up to, and then they also stop. And yeah. I've written and I, I've talked to the governor's office, I've talked to TxDOT and I've talked to the railroad and they all say that it's just up to the city council. So then I sent letter to the city council because the expenses you know, or basically just on the council and they're waiting technically to hear from the council. So like I said, I just didn't know if there was any push for the council to do anything further or the city manager to actually look into it further. And Mike, I've looked I at those, Mike, I looked I at those, I looked at those uh, 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 railroad tracks he's talking about where the sidewalks are. I've been by, I look at, I took video of it, uh, pictures, but it's about four yards each on each side of the uh, railroad track where the sidewalk stops and you've yeah. got people with handicap in those little scooters or the little handicapped uh, wheelchairs and they can't they can't they can't travel i mean they don't have cars and this is what they use for transportation and there's no sidewalk uh to cross over the railroad tracks uh to to get to the other side because there's no other so it's four yards maybe five yards on each side of the track on Washington Boulevard and on um, East Lucas and Hillsby with James. Tony, you're, you're, you're talking about four yards of concrete? Yes. Yeah, you're talking yes. about it, the measurement, right, right, of, the measurement the pouring right. of the concrete is right, about right. four yards of concrete. Right. So it's not a major, it's no, not it's a not. major investment from the city of Beaumont to build up the concrete. Uh, I know we spent what uh, total after the amended to the contract. It was, I think, around three hundred twenty nine thousand dollars for the Delaware sidewalk. I say Delaware, the sidewalk that extends from H.E.B. on Delaware down to Daisy Lane, which is not the complete sidewalk. It's, it's sections and then it's a long strip. And then there was driveways that had to be redone. But there was about three hundred twenty nine thousand dollars that there was grants looked for. Uh, just for the completion of that one sidewalk 
Uh, I requested for the information for the sidewalks that run down Delaware all the way to Major to Dallin and then back like on both sides. Uh, and I wasn't able to get any information on those two particular sidewalks. But those are sidewalks that are not hardly ever used uh, except by joggers uh, uh, as the main people that might, you know, jog or might might transit on those sidewalks. And I'm talking about, uh, for instance, like I said, the, the sidewalk or non-existing of the sidewalk over here on Lucas, uh, which I understand. And, and I'll point that out again. That's Alduin Samuels uh, area. Uh, 30 years if he's been the representative of this area, he turns on that same corner where there's no sidewalk that that transitions over this one railroad track yet i see handicapped and i see people that go to the uh, section 8 housing near there uh dragging uh the wagons from the laundry the, the laundry mat so then they have to drag the wagons up to the railroad track then enter the roadway and then get back on just to cross over the roadway or uh, hell big to then actually use a sidewalk for safe uh safe transition back to the house uh I'm just wondering if council is actually going to take a, you know, everybody's about the big reactive to situations, but is anybody going to take a real proactive look? And and does that mean that it's going to be the city manager that's going to need to do it? Or is it going to need to be the council that's actually going to look into uh, in-depth study on what we need to do to these areas? Well, I think that, you know, the council would be the first place to start that conversation. And probably with the council member that is over that ward. Uh, One thing you got to think about though, James, is we can't just go build a sidewalk on the railroad's property, okay? We're going to have to bring the railroad and get them to the table and get them to agree to anything that would be done. So you'd think that would be not that hard. But let me tell you what, we still have a blinking red light over on Washington because of our yes, problems in trying to get the railroad to work with us and doing the things we need necessary to time that light. You know, you know the, 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 the railroad is is difficult to work with. It's, it's They're just Why? difficult. Why is that? I mean, if you look at the city ordinances. It's because the city yeah, ordinances. The, the city runs everything. So how is it that, that the city can't get a hold of the railroad? Like, you know, force them into compliance. Because they because they answer to a higher authority than city government. We actually had to, there was a city ordinance that made it illegal for a train to block an intersection for more than five or 10 minutes or they'd be subject to right. citation. We ended up striking that because we couldn't enforce it. You know, we, we, mm. can't, we can't do anything about that. You know, the, the, they're controlled by the federal government and that's, and that's the truth. I'm sorry, right. it, that's the, 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 the ordinances that I'm looking at, they, they're not striked. That's why I was asking that question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, they should be struck because we can't enforce it. And I think when we revised the ordinances, that was taken out. I might be on the wrong hmm. website. I don't know. Who uh, who actually do, does the actual contacting that? I mean, it, you say ran by the federal government. So then that would be our state representatives that would actually make the change uh, for the railroad to actually uh, react or, or who would it no, be? That we would it'd need be to your congressman. It'd be your congressman like Randy Weber. Uh, that would okay. be a, a key to the federal government. So, you know, I'm not saying we don't have any contact numbers for the railroad. We do. And mm-hmm. Wiper Kovac. 
uh, has uh, probably information of people who we could contact to start a conversation going. So I'm not saying that the railroads would say no. I'm just saying that that's the place you're going to have to start. Right. And, and I and I agree with you on that. They, they ultimately control the work also that has to be done on the actual track part, uh, building right. up to the building up to the easement of the railroad. Uh, it still relies on the city to do that part of it, correct? Right. So if, right. if we can get the city upon uh, in line on that, like I say on Washington, which you, you say you're not familiar with what I'm talking or that area. So I, I'm, I'm giving you that uh, benefit of that whenever I say this part, that the engineering plans actually showed a, a incomplete sidewalk drawn into the the details uh so that's why i say i didn't know if it was something that the city is going to revisit because there's like a sidewalk ramp on one side and then that's where it stops on the other side there's probably 10 foot of uh sidewalk that's built into the grass and it's just an uneven uh attempt at finishing or stopping or or you know it's a un unfinished plan or it's been drawn and it's been completed to what the drawing is however there's there's it's it's still a, a dead sidewalk it still stops at that point like there's it didn't build up to the actual easement for the railroad to then take over it stopped way ahead of time on on all four sides on all four corners uh, of that that area but I also looked at even over on Calder, uh, I, I thought it could have been just a, a area or, or issue that I say really affects a lot of the minority communities or pro predominantly minority communities. However, Calder looks like that railroad over on First Street is also incomplete as well. It looks like that it, uh, the sidewalk ends at it and then there's almost a curb. So if somebody was in a wheelchair or something, they would also have to transition into the roadway and then go around the railroad and then enter back onto the sidewalk on the other side. And, and I'm wondering if that has to do with, is that community development? Is that the planning uh, side of Beaumont, the community yes. development? Do they yep. have any? They do. Yeah. Chris they Boone was former. Chris Boone was former the head supervisor of that. That he was the director, correct? correct. Of that. Correct. Okay. I, I guess. I've got. We got Perry Busby here with us. Perry, you got a question you want to ask Mike? First of all, good evening, uh, and I've been enjoying the show as a listener. And Mike, of course, always uh, good to. Uh, have a conversation with you. We've had many online and a few in person. Uh, I've listened to the conversation about the uh, about the ship, and again, I, I in terms of preference, I, I if it has a benefit, I agree. What I'm more concerned about with Beaumont right now is the message that we send out to the community. Or not just to the community, but to to the public. And at this time, I mean, I'm just not really a proponent of that. We really need to be on the forefront of displaying our military prowess. Because what 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 message does that send our youth at this time when everyone when we're dealing with violence? You know, and I know that that's not the intent and that's just the reality of it. But 
even in all of these risk studies, I mean, have we taken it to impact the, the human race? Also, you know, in terms of this, while it while it may be an economic boon, it really doesn't uh, generate really a lot in terms of, or at least it'll be a minimal rise in, in some jobs. But again, what message does that send? Is Beaumont now becoming a destination spot or a pass-through spot? And what does that say in terms of jobs, which which Terry raised? I mean, who we are, I mean, we, we can't say that we're developing IT jobs if we're not showing IT in our workforce or in the things around us. We are showing it, so then we become hypocritical. And I think that we really need to take that into account because that's what our young people are saying. And we can't dismiss what our young people are saying. Now, I'm all for having this discussion, but Beaumont in 10 to 15 years needs to have some younger eyes. What, what we need to do is help them accomplish it, not be the visionaries of and so that's what I'm concerned. Mike, you and Audwin have been on this council for over 30 years. And in those no. 30 years a week, well, well, let me rephrase that. I know Audwin has. I know you guys have been here since the 90s. Uh, and we've had continuous decline in, in our population. I'm not blaming you guys. Not, not by any means. I think you guys have done what the best with what you were given and i'm saying what now how what is your word now that i can agree that you really want to move us from this spot because from most part when i come to beaumont i kind of feel like and i hear from the people that they've been in the same spot well perry let me and just I, say I, that I, this is not personal and i i really want to say it, and i really thank you for coming on because you're at least one of the city leaders who is willing to come, you know, to come sit in this batter's cage and take whatever comes at you. So I appreciate you for that. And I will not take this as a personal dig against you. I'm just asking a very relevant question that I hear. Well, well let, let me respond, okay? Aldwin was first elected to city council in 1984, okay? Mm. I was elected in 2011. I been on the council for 30 years. Okay, so I've been on the council for, you know, a little over 10 years. Um, with regard to the population, the population of Beaumont in the last 30 years has been about level. And we went down 3,000 people from 2010. But look at how much has grown in the area outside of Beaumont. You know, people that are living out at Diamond D, or that are living out in Sour Lake or Lumberton or Hampshire, Burnett, many, 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 many of those people come into Beaumont every day to work. The population of Beaumont swells during the day to over 150,000, close to 200,000 people. Just look at the traffic, you know? So yes, we have lost some population. I'll submit to you that one of the reasons why is our school district. That's the subject of a whole another conversation. But, you know, as far as the city itself, we, we're at about the same level population-wise. 
And I say, well, what does that mean going forward? Uh, because you see Houston encroaching from the West. Uh, East Texas is building up. And I mean, I think I think Beaumont is still in a pivotal place. I think that, I mean, it, it, it has access to East Texas as well as being a... Uh, <laughs> A rollover for for Houston and and Baytown. Yeah, it, it, it's positioned right. So uh, what I think what I think though is just that there's an equity problem. Beaumont grows on the west side, and right now for the first time we're talking about something that's new and developed on the east side of I-10, and that's downtown. But I'm just saying, from a from a person who looks outside, that's lopsided. Because all your commerce, all your commerce is on the west end and outside of Beaumont. If I want to come to this area, I'm I'm seeing that, and I'm reading some signals maybe that you guys don't see. Because for me, it looks as if there's some still some old fighting about, and we're talking about it right now in just sidewalks. And every sidewalk that James talked about is on the east side of IT. Well, let me draw an analogy for you. You know, when Houston was being built, downtown Houston back in the day was the hub of the city, commerce. And over time, somebody decided that they're going to build the Galleria. And that became the predominant retail area of Houston. Just like the West End has become the predominant retail area of Beaumont. So, you you know, cities change over a period of time. Beaumont's not unique in that perspective. What Beaumont does lag behind, though, is, and you, you were here a little bit late, I was asked at the beginning, what are some of the biggest changes that I see on city council? And I pointed out that the mayor, the, the, the previous mayor, the previous city manager, and the previous city attorney had all been here, like you said, for over 30 years. And they're all gone now. So I think what you're going to see is a new dynamic on council. You've got a new interim city manager that has some progressive ideas. And I think we're at, on the cusp of seeing some really great things. Hey, Mike, I... I told Tony at, at, on, a, on a previous podcast that I would bring it up and and I'm really curious as to your ideal on what would you do or how would you vote or would you even bring up the topic to uh, BPD on their body cameras. Uh, they have personal information supposedly uh, from your legal department of BPD states that they include their birth dates on the actual time stamps on the uh, on the body worn cameras. Therefore, every officer actually has the right to withhold that personal information from the public. Therefore, using birth dates on a body cam that makes it where body cams are not viewable by the public i re uh researched a little bit with uh police department in florida the sunshine uh sunshine florida police department and they have what they call a sunshine law 
which everything that falls underneath the sun, basically the public, uh, is allowed and viewable by the public. And I'm wondering what your your point is or what your ideal is on removing personal identifying you know, information like that to make body worn camera information more viewable to the public to not only prosecute officers if they do wrong, but also uh, exonerate officers whenever they do right and falsely accused by the citizens. So it goes both ways. And I'm wondering if you would be interested in actually raising that opinion or or voicing that to vote and uh, to see if we can get a second council member on that. Uh, I sent that information to you and I think all the other, you know, council uh, just through the regular uh uh, or, you know, Beaumont.org. Uh, but like I said, I would like to, to see if y'all would be interested in that and what's your opinion on that. Removing any, any identifiable uh, personal information to make body-worn cameras actually requestable from the public. Well, I would be interested in knowing what the rationale is to have that included on the film for body worn cameras uh yeah I've, I've got some interest in that because i am a big believer in transparency and i right. think that uh you know body cameras help solve a lot of issues it uh, mm -hmm. it, it certainly helps it certainly helps a lot of times when police officers are accused of misconduct of exonerating mm -hmm. police officers and it also right. shows sometimes where police officers exceed their authority and you know we see many incidents around the country where police officers have uh, faced uh, harsh discipline uh, or lawsuits because of acting inappropriately so you know right. I, I think that you know it, it goes both ways and you know our police officers are supposed to be professional out there uh, sometimes in the heat of the moment heat of the moment uh, they may not, uh, they may miss the mark. Uh, they may use profanity. Uh, they may, uh, they, they may in the heat of the moment have to deal with some situations, uh, that are pretty serious. So we expect a lot out of our police officers and by and far, they, uh, they, they do a good job, but that's not to say they're perfect. True. Is that is that something that we can we can voice at council to bring to vote and and how hard would that take <clears throat> for a council person to bring that to vote? I mean, it just takes the council to raise uh, it to vote and then a second, correct? Yeah, and, and I think that you know from my own personal <laughs> perspective, I would want to know what the rationale would be to have personally identifiable information included on a body cam. Um, I, I can't think of one offhand, so I'd, I'd like to know what right. the explanation is for that. Okay, because yeah, that, that's what I had. I had an official response that was sent to Ken Paxson's office that the legal department says that uh, officers' personal birth dates are included in the timestamps. Therefore, they don't believe that they need to release the body camera that I actually requested about a traffic stop because it actually included the officer's birth date in like like an ID. And, and I was curious on why would an ID 
have to have an officer's birth date as a per and it seemed like it was more of a a cover-up tactic to in person you know to 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 include that would be a definite uh way to hide or hinder any kind of uh investigation or prosecution uh of you know ill deeds but like i said it also uh exonerates officers whenever they do good and they're falsely accused uh so like i said i would just look into try and get that uh removed uh and and i'm hoping that that's on councils um or, or in their power to do so and it's not just left upon the uh, city manager or the police to actually remove that information uh, it's so simple uh, they say that they don't have uh the the legal part the department also says that they don't have redacting uh capabilities to redact any of that information that's another reason why they weren't allowed to uh uh give that because it had the birthday on there and there was no way to redact it off of that however i've talked to the manufacturers or i talked to the police like i said in sunshine florida that says it's a federal requirement that all body cameras have to require the manufacturers have to require the the um <clears throat> software to actually redact information off of those videos uh so i'm just wondering who's actually driving this ship you know it, it just seems like it's a lot of uh hiding information and and if i can have counsel look into that and change that type of stuff for more transparency that would be great <clears throat> i can make an inquiry on that appreciate it well guys i think that, that's a wrap unless we got another question yeah, I got one. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Trish. No, go ahead, Jerry. Go ahead. <laughs> Mike, um, in your honest opinion, what do you think is gonna is gonna take to get Beaumont back on track? I'm not not just I'm not talking about events and things like that, which is fine. But uh what do you think it's gonna take to bring people back to Beaumont? As far as with the city, not with the school district or anything like that. Because a lot of people are leaving because of things that's going on with the city or its infrastructure and things like that. I disagree with you. I don't think infrastructure is the reason that people leave or won't come to Beaumont. I think our school system is a big part of the reason that people won't come to Beaumont. You know, our infrastructure, and I've spent a lot of time in Houston over the last few months uh, with my wife's illness and, you know, I've driven a lot of the Houston roads, and I can tell you, Beaumont's roads in a lot of places are much, much, much better than Houston. Uh, I, I can tell you that when I would be walking around the medical center, which is uh, supposed to be the jewel of Houston, I right? I was around there, I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you, you'll get a whiff of sewer just, just walking around. I mean, you know, just right there outside the doors of Methodist Hospital. It's, it. <laughs> I mean, talking, me, they got millions of people though. It's, it's a big difference between millions I, of people. I understand that, but we're talking infrastructure. <laughs> and, yeah. and they've got a lot, and they've got a lot of money too, a lot of money. So, you know, when, when you ask me, my honest opinion mm -hmm. is that, you know, we've got to figure out ways for our children to be able to be educated in a safe environment because parents are not going to put up with their kids going to school and having fights every day or drug activity on campus or kids bringing guns to school. You know, parents that can have the means will figure out a way to take their kids out of a public school 
and put them in a charter school, in a private school, or in a school district in a city that doesn't have those type of problems. I saw in the Enterprise today, uh, and I was at the meeting when they announced it, they're going to change pathways and they're going to reform it. It's not enough. Nothing that we can do at the local level is going to help. It's going to have to be done in Austin. When they decriminalized the statutes that had teeth in it that could make parents accountable as well as the children for misconduct on the children's part, you did a big disservice. You took it out of the hands of the JPs. You took it out of the hands of the police department. And so kids today know that they can get away with just about anything short of murder. And they're going to be maybe suspended at Pathways for 30 to 60 days. And they're going to be right back in the classroom. So what, what needs to happen is we need to get a handle on our children. We need to do something about the disruption in our public schools. That is the number one thing because that leads to the other big thing that people want come to Beaumont Bar, and that's crime. So those two go together, all right? So that that's what needs to be done. And that's not something that's really able for the city council to fix. That's going to be a community effort. That's going to be, uh, you, you know, we're all going to have to pitch in on that. Trisha, you going to go first? Well, yes, I, I, I agree that the school district is a, is a problem and, and, you know, that those things need to be taken care of. Um, but there are there are problems in this city that make it so that people don't want to be here. And one of which is the water. And I know that that's a sore subject between you and I, and I don't want to argue it. But um, is are we going to do something about the maintenance at the, at the water treatment plant? I mean, is this going to be taken care of? I mean, the, yeah. the corona people came in and said that it was maintenance, that there's a serious maintenance issue. We had holes in our, our storage tank. And we knew about that before Corona came because there were NOVs from TCEQ. So I'm just, we have to get a handle on that because it is a big well, problem. Our storage tanks are not at our water treatment plant. That's, uh, you know, so. Well, you know what I mean? There were a couple of different things, but the, the, the gist of it was the maintenance issues. That It's not being done regularly, if it's being done at all, and we only have it half done. I guess that was supposed to be reassuring, but it, it wasn't. I think you're talking about the tanks again, uh, which is a different issue than water quality. So, but to answer your question, Corona, Corona uh, the company, not the not not the disease, yeah. but yeah. The, the, consultants. the consulting firm that came in, uh, put together a comprehensive report, and I asked that that be put online so the citizens can review it. I don't think you've seen it yet because no, I don't think it's online. Uh, but it but it is. It is very detailed and it offers a lot of strategies, uh, some of which we've already doing, uh, some of which we were in the process of doing. But uh, I do think that our water quality is, is good. Uh, I do not think that it is unsafe. I know that, as you said, we, we might disagree on that. But, um, you, you know, you can go on the city website right now and look for how many discolored water complaints we've had in the last 24 hours, the last seven days, or the last well, month. We both know. And I you're not going to see very many. 
Well, and, and, and we've discussed well, this. I've provided you with the proof that, you know, I don't trust what that says because there's reason I can prove that those complaints aren't being uh, logged properly. And that's not just me. That's other citizens. And that's TCEQ. We've got outstanding violations that have not been rectified. Okay. So well, I, well, the, the bulk of my question is, is it, it, what are we going to do to fix that? Well, how are we going to attack it and, and make it so that it's not as big of a problem anymore? Well, I think that Mike Harris is doing a good job, a commendable job. And I think that when when we work our way through that report, and I haven't read the whole report yet, it's a lot of very detailed information uh, that we will implement the suggestions that they make. And, you know, we're going to work our way to improving our quality uh, to the extent that we, we can. But I do think our water quality is good as it is right now. I drink it well, every day. You and I will continue to disagree on that. It's, we've got water coming out from Miami. Mike, you can drink it, but I'm, I'm not drinking it. You can drink it. <laughs> well, I'll go you one better. I'll, I will take plastic bottles and refill them and use them so that I don't have to litter the landfill with a bunch of plastic bottles. So, I mean, you know, I reuse uh, uh, Coke bottles and fill them up with water and put them in the refrigerator. Have Honestly, no problem though, drinking that water at all. Has it ever come out of your tap feeling like slime? Because I can feeling tell like you that most of the West End is experiencing that right now. Most of your ward is experiencing slime right now. I have not had a single constituent contact me directly about that. I did see some conversation on next door talking about uh, water being softer than normal. Yes. And that yep. could be because of the uh, wells in Hart County, uh, because that water is softer than, than the nature's river water. Well, it's a different source. Yes. But it's still Beaumont's source. Beaumont is the one that's licensed for that, that facility. That's right. That's right. Perry. Okay. Well, Mike, I do want to push back a little bit on what you said in return in regards to the schools. And I will agree with you yeah. about being a part of this. Sources, we know that you're the that comes and, and handles all this. To, <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah, about many of the sources that led to this decline. I, 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 I'm not... You and I you and I can agree on, on some of this. What we... Where I see the problem again is that this is a Beaumont problem. Whether whether it was caused by the school district or whatever. I, I I use this story all the time. Every time I walked in Calvin Williams' house, Calvin Williams, who sat on who sat on city council, he's been mayor pro tip. Every time I went to his house, I saw not just the Beaumont Enterprise, but the Houston Chronicle, the Houston Post, and the New York Times. And his reason when I asked him, why are you reading all these papers? He says, because the problems that are there are coming this way. And the solutions to problems that exist here are also there. So I'm reading to find out solutions to bring here. So I refuse to, when, when, when we talk about the school district, yes, I agree. It's something that all of us are responsible for. But our kids don't, and we talk about the violence, but that's because there is nothing to fill that void, not from the school and not from the city and not from their communities. 
So why are we blaming these apples for being bad when there has been nobody to even pick them from the trees or even till the soil? So I'm tired of this talk about blaming the kids and it's all of this. And you're right. No, no industry would want to come to Beaumont based on those. But those problems exist everywhere. What will drive people away from Beaumont is that we don't talk about solutions. We spent. Well, I did talk about a solution. A solution, I believe, I believe. A solution is going to have to be crafted in Austin at the legislative level. Some of these things we cannot just continue to throw money at and expect different results. You're going to have to change the laws so that people will be held accountable for when their children get off the path and that the children can be held accountable when they decide to act out. Because right now, there is no accountability. You look at the enrollment in BISD. It has dropped from 19,800 in 2010 to just over 17,000 now. We are losing enrollment in our public school district. Why? Where are those kids going? Well, I'll tell you where some of them are going. Some of them are going to the Bob Hope School. Some of them are going to Harmony School. Some of them are going to Legacy. These other schools have come up and they're taking students out of BISD because parents that have the ability to do so are putting their kids in a school situation where their kids can learn and be safe. That's what right, parents they care understand about. The, they don't understand the financial allocation shift in those decisions as well. So again, I know I know there's going to be some winners and some losers, but I'm just talking about equity. Everyone doesn't have to go to a charter school to get a better education. It start it starts with better administrators and better and better oversight to do that. And again, I mean, if you talk to teachers, I I, I have been surprised at just the response from constituents about the city in which they live in. And it's not privacy. And it feels as though the leadership doesn't listen to the people because they're telling you, but in response to them saying, oh, this isn't working, we always want to point to something else that is. And so people in response to that end up pushing back and saying, well, I just won't say anything. And that's detrimental to the city. When you look at all the teachers that we're losing in BISD, there's two things. One, the income. We're not competitive where we need to be in terms of paying our teachers. We're just not. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Number number two, teachers got into that profession not with the idea of making a lot of money. They went into that profession with the idea of making a difference in the life of a child. What they did not get in that profession to do was to put their life in danger trying to break up fights, you know, and that is one of the reasons we're losing teachers is because of the lack of discipline in the schools. You've got kids as young as kindergarten that will drop an F-bomb on a teacher when they tell that student to take off their hoodie, okay? You've got signs at Westbrook 
no hoods, no earbuds. I challenge you to go out there and transition and find more than 10% of the kids that aren't wearing hoods or have earphones in their ear when they're walking around. We're not enforcing the rules, so why have the rules? You know, I don't know what kind of a message it sends to you, but to me, it sends a message like, hey, rules don't matter. You know, so either get rid of the rule or enforce the rule, but well, don't when have they look signs at Washington, When they look at Washington and they see people disregarding rules, I mean, that, that's kind of a duplicity statement. Because well, we see leadership ignoring rules. I, I don't I argue not. with that. Wow, wow, it's wow. It's an office, a convicted <clears throat> felon. No what one should hold about? office. No one should hold office as a convicted felon. And he is. So I'm saying about these messages that we send, and you're saying Austin can fix a boat my problem. My daddy didn't look to Austin to fix a blossom problem. He didn't look to Austin to fix a problem on 3495 Rolling Road. When things were happening over there, he called Audwin's ass. If, if, Austin has, uh, if Austin has changed the law, and they have, that prevents us from expelling a kid for a year if he brings a gun to campus, then that has to be fixed by Austin. That can't be fixed here in yeah, Beaumont. Because, I agree. I agree. You, you, you know, so if a kid brings a gun to school, we ought to be able to put that kid out, right? Yes. We can't. But you can't do that if you're getting money from the NRA and that money is trickling down, even to the county, even to the police, getting some of these newfound military equipment that they're getting. That's what I say. We're talking, we're making duplicitous statements. On one side, we want the kids to do all of this, but yet we're showing them aggression at every step of the way. Kids in the South End, when they run into a policeman, they're meeting an aggressive attacker. And they could just be wearing earphones. That's not against the law. You know, Perry, I was at an event in the South End where the police had a picnic in the park at Alice Keith Park where the kids could come out and interact with the police department and throw a football, throw a basketball, get a snow cone. And I think our police department is doing a lot to have outreach to the kids, you know? And I think that's what it takes is to try to show that policemen are not always uh, the enemy. You know, they, they can be approachable as people. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I applaud that. That needs to happen at every opportunity. But those same policemen that are throwing footballs also need to stand up when they know that their partners have also been aggressive. How is it that we have a public, that we have a citizen who put a restraining order against a police officer? And no one yeah. talks about it. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. I, that's my point. That is my point. <clears throat> That, okay. we have, that, that we have incidents. And I'm saying to city council, what sort of reports are you getting from our police department? And where does that match up with some of these citizen complaints? Because well, I'm I think not getting... that there's some... Right, and if we aren't, then why can't we? I, I, I don't know what you're referring to. 
I can't. It's not just the police that. department either. It's other aspects that you know council's just not aware of things that have have are gone on, and that's not the way that it should be. There's got to be more openness. We want, we want you all to keep them accountable. I mean, we're not. I'm, I'm not advocating for anything that I think is outside guidelines. But I'm saying if if the if the chief of police reports to to you all what reports are we getting the chief of police does not report to the city council the chief of police reports to the city manager right or provides reports now i i I got to say this though uh, perry Uh, and i i have to say this mike did say something that i agree with and that i think we kind of just let it pass over our head not pass over our head but just pass through without us digesting it is that we had a city manager former mayor um and a couple of councils that had been on the uh council for almost 30 years and has set the city back because they were so complacent and and now is the opportunity with a new new regime new manager uh yes. to come in new mayor uh and to come in and and uh where well, i guess they're gonna have to play, play catch-up ball but it takes time what they've got to do I agree. and i and mike I, I appreciate you stopping in and um because we needed this we needed this chat we needed a dialogue with each other because our community is not aware of what's going on and uh, you have really helped and you, i give it all you know I, I have to say you you're brave enough to come on and get some of this heat yes uh, thank you and, and i thank you for doing that and i like to ask you to come back again uh again and again sure so that we can keep up updating because we have some things you said tonight that we had no idea yep you know and we're in the community we work that's, in the community that's because nobody don't get involved you know you go to a council <laughs> meeting you might have five people that's it it's like Terry's right because we we had a night meeting last week i saw terry there but i think I think there might have been five other people. I didn't even know there was a night meeting. Yeah, yeah. I'm still dealing with COVID, y'all. Yeah. But uh, just one last thing that I'm very excited about because, you know, it's coming to Beaumont. Uh, We're getting a main event, which, uh, you know, is a a pretty big deal for a city the size of Beaumont. Right. Uh, It's like Dave and Buster's, and it's already under construction. So. I, I I mean I I'm I'm excited about where it we're is, at. And it's been needed. Been this it, the city has been needed. It uh, yes. So that's a great good thing, Mike. When we come back again, I want to visit with you again on the economy <laughs> economics. I mean of the city, uh, how okay. we can grow the economics of the city, and also how we can uh, put a put a plan together how we can draw more diverse industrial here. Okay. You know, this is an oil and gas city, but it has to be more, a little bit more diverse. It would be great if we could get some manufacturing here. Right. 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 But I can tell you that, uh, you know, Beaumont has already always been an oil city and we were blessed to have a port. uh, And the port is doing great. So we've got to continue those things. And yes, to diversify a little bit more would be great. That'd be great. Well, guys, that's gonna wrap. That's gonna wrap this version of the um, episode four of what it's like living in Beaumont, Texas. The pros and the cons. I think we kind of aired out some things that we wanted to, 
yes. out and got to masters and can and, i interject and, with something real quick yes <laughs> i'd like to wish my oldest child alexandra a happy 25th birthday okay big old shout out uh, happy, happy birthday, birthday alexandra happy birthday, happy birthday. Thank you guys. yes mike thank you again hey, i really wish, appreciate you wish the mean, best of miss uh allison Thank yes. you, Miss Gibbs. Thank you. Yeah, you prayers to your wife. Yes. Yeah, right. Thank you. Wife. Thank you very much. Well, guys, thank you so much, my my my, my panel. Uh, thank you again for stopping in. Some of you guys a little late, but I thank you again anyway. That's <laughs> <laughs> been a blessing, man. Thank you, guys. I yeah. see we're going to be closed. We're going to close shop for Father's Day weekend. Uh, Juneteenth weekend is upcoming, <laughs> so we're going to show uh, us. A closed shop on that day, but don't forget to let everyone know about the uh, Juneteenth celebration for the, uh, the NAACP 38, 38th Freedom Fund Scholarship Award Banquet. That's just this Friday at June 17th at 6.30 at the Bummer Civic Center. All right, I got that out the way. So again, week after next, we're going to have Councilman, um, with Councilman Ward 4. Chris Dury will be with us. We'll be with us <coughs> Sunday after next. So let's get going, guys. See you later. God bless you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for watching Knowledge is Power Podcast Live. Be sure to like and subscribe to all Knowledge is Power social media pages.